Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, we hear from Bevan Walters as she continues our series on parenting. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Hello and welcome to module four of the parenting series, The 3D Parent Model, A Simple Approach for Parenting Complex Kids. Once again, I am Bevan Walters, Certified Parent Coach and the founder of The 3D Parent. So in this module four, I will be talking about the D of dignity in discipline and parenting with dignity in discipline. If you haven't had a chance to watch the previous three modules, go back and watch each of them first because they all fit together to help you understand the 3D parent model and how to apply that in your parenting. This is not a standalone module, even though the topic of discipline could easily be its own series. This is really meant to fit together to understand the three parts of the 3D parent model. But because the topic of discipline is so huge, I've broken up this module into two parts. So this first part, part one, I will be tackling just the topic of discipline in general, what discipline even means, what the word means, and what discipline is meant to be in its application in parenting. And then also taking a critical look at some of the common, traditional, or popular discipline approaches of the past and currently, and talk about why some of those can be problematic with some kids. And then after that, I'm going to dive into my simplified approach towards dignity in discipline and how that can be applied broadly with every type of kid and for every type of situation requiring discipline. So starting off first with just what is discipline? What is its purpose? Well, the word discipline comes from the Latin word disciplus, which means learner, follower, believer, devotee. Think about the word disciple and what you understand that to mean. Discipline comes from that same root word. So discipline is to lead, to guide, and to impart knowledge too. So it's interesting the way in which the word discipline has kind of changed in the way we use it in at least the English language throughout time. When we say things like, oh gosh, I need to discipline my child, 
it often takes on the connotation of I need to punish my child. Or when somebody says, wow, that kid needs some discipline, they often mean that kid needs to be controlled. You have to get control over that child. Very different from the meaning from the Latin to guide, to teach, to um, lead, that um, we've kind of moved away from that in the way in which we use the word discipline in our modern language. So I am taking the dignity with discipline approach back to that root. The purpose of discipline being to lead, to guide, to establish order, and to help our kids reach their potential. So before going into my dignity and discipline, the specifics of my take on this, I want to first kind of take a little stroll down discipline strategy lane and kind of talk through these common or traditional discipline approaches and why they can be really problematic, in some cases wounding and damaging to not only the child and their growth and development, but also to your relationship with your child. So taking a look at these and kind of keeping an open mind, um, if these are some strategies you've used in the past, just keep an open mind and hear my kind of thoughts on them and then be open to maybe thinking about a different approach to discipline that might be less charged with negativity. So the first thing, um, the first type of discipline method I want to address is alarm-based methods. So those are methods of discipline meant to cause fear in kids. They look like and sound like and feel like yelling, spanking, threats, public shaming, or sometimes using other adults to scare kids, like wait until your father gets home or wait till your mom hears about this, or even like, oh my gosh, if you don't buckle that seatbelt, the police are gonna come and they'll pull you over and arrest you and throw you into jail. These alarm-based methods meant to control children through causing fear and alarm, scaring them straight. So why is this a problem? Well, because this is taking advantage of kids' alarm systems, this sense of being moved to caution when you feel a sense of alarm, it can be really problematic when children have this alarm-based kind of fear tactics used in discipline, they learn to kind of eventually tune it out. Um, when a child is not used to getting yelled at, and then they get yelled at at one point in time, and they melt down and they cry, that's actually what we want to see. That's an appropriate response to being yelled at. When a child is used to being yelled at a lot, they don't have that same response. Why? Because the yelling has become so frequent, so common, that it actually does not do what it's intended to do, cause alarm in a child. Now think about times when actually yelling is necessary. Screaming at a child is necessary. Times when a child is in risk of serious injury or death, walking into a street, you need to be able to yell at your child to stop and cause that alarm, get their attention. If a child has been yelled at a lot in everyday common discipline, um, when you yell at them in moments when you need to get their attention quick and furiously and cause that alarm to go off in them, it doesn't work. So your child is actually at risk of not responding appropriately when you're trying to actually protect them from serious injury or even potential for death. 
Um, so what happens when children become kind of numbed out from responding to it with a sense of alarm at being yelled at or physically um, hurt? Well, what ends up happening is parents kind of need to make it a little bit more significant. They need to yell louder. They need to grab harder. They have to keep on intensifying the alarm-based methods they are using to try and get the response from their kids. Really problematic and leading towards all kinds of things that can be very damaging both emotionally and physically to children. Also with alarm-based methods, you find that there is a lack of trust between parent and child. We are meant to nurture and protect our children. When we are disciplining in a way that can cause harm to them, well, there's a breakdown in trust. So that makes it difficult to create and develop a secure attachment between a parent and child. Also, it really is not, when I talk about discipline with dignity, there's not much that's dignified about terrifying a child into obeying. Um, I'm going to get into a little bit more with why I chose the word dignity um, to go along with discipline a little bit later in this talk. So moving on to another common practice, which is separation-based methods of discipline. These are meant to use your relationship with your child as something that is kind of like something that's being given and taken away to control a child's behavior. This looks like the use of timeouts, social isolation, pretending not to see a child when they throw a tantrum, you know, even though you might be in the same room as, that still is separation-based methods. Threatening to leave a child, so feigned abandonment. Um, we've all at times been kind of frustrated and desperate or heard parents at the park say, hey, I'm just gonna leave you at the park. If you don't come to me now, I guess I guess you're on your own now. I'm going home without you. That is separation-based methods, mixed in with a little bit of alarm-based methods as well. So anything that has to do with using your relationship is this piece that can be given and taken away based on your child's behavior. Um, these methods, particularly the time out, were really wildly promote, widely promoted about 15, 20 years ago as an alternative to spanking. And this was kind of the strategy that was shared with pediatricians and other people to try and give parents an alternative to try and stop spanking, which could so easily, um, so easily turn to physical abuse, they wanted to give parents, empower them with something, an alternative to physical corporal punishment. And so they moved towards giving this suggestion for timeouts. Um, this was what I was told to do when my firstborn was super uh, strong-willed and spirited, and I was trying to figure out how to navigate her nature. My pediatrician said, oh, social isolation. He didn't even call it a timeout. He said, oh, you need to isolate her socially and put her away from you, and that will teach her. And I tried it um, and found it to be really, really problematic um, for so many reasons. One of the main reasons why is because it's using a child's greatest need for contact, connection, attachment with their parents and caregivers, using that against them. So it's basically taking the thing they need the most and giving and taking it away um, conditionally, which can lead to all kinds of problems, most especially 
to your relationship. When it starts to feel insecure because you can give it or take it, it becomes conditional. And then children get into this mode of performing to try and earn and keep that sense of um, proximity with their parent, which is not the mode we want kids to be in. Covered that in the last module. So hopefully that feels um, pretty clear as to why that can be really problematic. Um, the next uh, method I want to talk about, really popular, consequence-based methods. So in the very first module, when I talked about the gardener versus the sculptor, the sculptor uses consequence-based methods. The idea of you can control and modify behaviors through the use of appropriate uh, rewards or positive reinforcements or uh, negative reinforcements or punishments or what we often will call consequences. I'm going to talk about the difference between uh, imposed consequences, those are your punishments, versus natural consequences a little bit later. I'm talking about right now about imposed consequences. So these uh, methods, the consequence-based methods, are meant to coerce kids into compliance through these uses of external means, the rewards and the punishments. Um, it can look like sticker charts, um, earning a prize, or losing a toy or a privilege as a kind of negative consequence imposed based on a child's behavior. Um, a real popular one is to use um, screen time is a uh, common, oh, if you don't do this, you're gonna lose screen time. That's a really common thing that I hear a lot um, from parents is their only kind of consequence they find still works. And that is getting right into why this strategy really tends to backfire over time. Um, it's a quick fix solution to kind of quickly control a child and get them to obey but it doesn't do much to help a child in their long-term maturity. It also is um, something that, without realizing, really undermines a parent's authority. Parents who are using uh, threats of consequences or rewards do so oftentimes because they've asked once or twice or three times for their child to do something or to stop doing something, their child doesn't listen. And so then they have to find a way to get their kid to listen because they're not listening to them. The parent is not enough. That relationship is not enough to influence and encourage a child to follow and listen and you know follow the directions that parents are given. So when they don't feel like they have that control or power just based on them asking, they go for something that does have power for over their child, finding something that will control their behaviors. And what often happens over time is when kids are little, they can have some degree of success with this. And so parents think, okay, it works. But similar to kind of using the alarm-based, you know, yelling, well, eventually your kid doesn't respond to yelling the same, so we have to make it scarier and bigger and louder and more painful. Similarly, with these consequence-based methods, you know, initially a little bribe or a little threat might be enough, but over time, the child starts to not care. And they'll even tell you this, I don't care, fine, take away that toy, I don't care, until there's nothing left that kids seem to care about except for screens. And that's oftentimes when parents come to me for um, parent coaching, they often say, we've tried everything. My kid doesn't respond to anything anymore except for threats of taking away 
screens. And we wanna get away from that. And plus, we don't wanna make screens any more of this forbidden fruit than it already is uh, for our children by using it as this thing to try and control them or coerce behaviors that we want to see out of them. Um, it also can be problematic because it tricks us into thinking it works, but really at the best case scenario, you're only getting a child who is acting the way in which you ideally want them to act. They're performing the mature way or the obedient way. They're not actually growing that within them unless they have a reason to do so because they're trying to avoid some type of a consequence, a punishment, a threat, or earn some type of a reward. And so kids get kind of conditioned into not doing what we want, not following us, not listening to us, unless there is this carrot or a stick to be this extra motivator. It becomes a really vicious cycle that's tough to get out of and can be highly frustrating for both the parent and the child. Hey everyone, it's Kristen. Just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're finding these messages helpful for you in your everyday life. Um, that's what we're trying to do here is gather around the idea that life is a gift and love is the point and let's give ourselves ways to move forward in that in our own everyday world. Um, so I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this community. To those of you who have participated and given financially, we wanna say thank you to you. Everything that we do here happens because people make contributions. People say, I value this place. I want it to exist for me and for other people. And so I'm going to support it. And so we just want to say how grateful we are um, that you do that. And for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to contribute yet, um, we would ask you to consider maybe doing so. If you find this place beneficial, if you find these messages helpful for you, then um, consider joining us in that way. You can go to eastlakecc.com to make a contribution. Um, and we we just always are thankful for the people who want this place to exist. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the message. Okay, so this next one, this next method is the one that I feel can be somewhat polarizing. And that is talking about some of the problems with the very currently popular positive discipline methods. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot about positive discipline that I think is fantastic. Moving away from behaviorist, controlling, um, coercing behaviors methods, moving away from alarmed-based and separation-based methods. So that's all great. A lot of focus on relationship and connection and attachment. Again, great. And also a lot of focus on emotions and making sense of emotions and emotion coaching of our children. All those things I think are wonderful and go hand in hand with the 3D parent model that I talk about. Here's where it can be problematic. A lot of uh, specific tools and strategies used by the positive discipline strategies, methods, books, what have you, um, can blur the lines in terms of who is in charge. It can sometimes make children feel like they're on the same level as their parent. Now, children need to be feeling the same level of respect and dignity by the way in which they're treated by their parents, but not on the same level, not an equal player, particularly not a younger child. I'm talking about a child in their developmental years that are feeling pretty powerful because of some of these strategies used in positive discipline. Um, 
some of the specific ones that I will call out is offering choices. Now this can be fine for some kids, but if you have a child who's maybe wired a bit more intensely, a bit more spirited, but highly sensitive kids, well, gosh, they see this as kind of an invitation for a power struggle. When it's a choice between this and this, oh, they figure out pretty quickly, I don't want either of those choices. I want something else. It doesn't work. It starts to become this bigger negotiation, causing a lot of frustration for both parent and child. It's an invitation for a power struggle. Also, another part of kind of positive discipline is asking of questions. It kind of goes along with the choices. But parents sometimes will kind of default to asking a lot of questions of their kids, kind of blurring the lines in terms of who's leading, who's control, who's making these decisions. Things like, okay, what do you want for breakfast? What do you want for dinner? What do you want to do today? What should we do this weekend? A lot of kind of like asking children to lead, which makes it really difficult when we as parents want to lead our children if we've been blurring the lines and sending this message that kids are on the same kind of level in terms of leading their parents and they kind of get really inflated and some children even become very much in charge at their households. A lot of parents when they first come to me for coaching, they admit that they feel like they are not in charge, their kids are, and they want to figure out how do we reverse this cycle. Well, sometimes it, it takes kind of looking at some of the current strategies that are being used and taking away some that are really sending the message to their children that they are in charge. Um, another one that is popular with positive discipline is the use of family meetings. Now, I myself utilize these strategies because I was trying to move away from all the other discipline strategies that I was not finding to be helpful with my firstborn highly spirited child. So I went the direction of positive discipline. Some of it, the focus on the relationship worked great. But this is where I started getting into trouble was these things that started to really, really add fuel to her already large and in charge personality. And I tried these family meetings. My husband and I tried these family meetings um, with the idea of we're going to come together, we're going to each talk about some things that may be an issue we want to bring to the table, we'll talk about upcoming uh, activities that we might want to do, plan family movie nights and uh, upcoming holidays and travel and talk about these things and make decisions around it. But we didn't get very far because most of these family meetings basically ended being fights over whose turn it was to hold the talking stick or who was going to run the meeting and take uh, take the notes or kind of move through the agenda. It started being this whole focus on who was in charge and who was going to be running the meeting. It backfired. And so I just kind of took it off the table and we no longer did family meetings. And there was a less frustration on all parts because of that. Um, not again, blurring the lines of who is in charge and empowering kids. There's lots of opportunities for children to make decisions and use critical thinking. But when it comes to their caretaking, when it comes to their um, raising them, it really needs to be a clear definition of who is in charge, the parents, and not behaving in such a way through our parenting strategies that makes it a little confusing. Because then what happens? children start testing who's in charge who's gonna call the shots i'm gonna test this way and see oh, okay it looks like i got some power okay I'll, I'll keep on testing this out they're looking for limits they're looking for leadership and these strategies make it confusing complicated i'm going for simplifying here 
Positive discipline can be really confusing for both parents and children. Certain aspects of positive discipline, I should say. Um, so moving into something that isn't quite necessarily a parenting strategy, more of kind of a parenting style that is a set of behaviors. Um, we hear a lot about helicopter parenting. Um, there's also this other phrase, lawnmower parenting, which is born somewhat out of a generation of parents who were kind of raised with the everyone gets a trophy generation. Um, these parents generally are embracing kind of the gentle and positive discipline parenting styles, but they really struggle with limit setting and seeing their children unhappy. Their goal is to keep kids happy and avoid these um, potential frustrating moments, avoid things that might cause a child to have a meltdown. The idea of the lawnmower parent is a parent who basically is mowing the lawn and removing all obstacles and, and bumps in the road so their children can kind of cruise through without having to face a lot of frustration, which is really at the child's detriment. It makes it so kids aren't able to kind of face the frustrations in life and realize that they are survivable and learn to be more flexible and adaptive when parents are kind of making it a little bit too easy to move through life. So it's also common for parents that are kind of in this default to choose their battles um, and kind of like, okay, give in and compromise a lot. Again, making it confusing to kids in terms of where the limits are. A lot of those testing limit um, behaviors kids have are they're trying to figure out where the boundaries are, where the limits are, who is going to be um, kind of setting the, uh, the limit, the boundary. And when we're not clear or we're kind of not doing it very often, it doesn't help or serve our children. Again, it blurs the lines in terms of who's in charge and it also prevents our children from going through some really important developmental stages in terms of being adaptive and resilient. So these uh, methods I just covered are very common. And why are they so common? Well, they're familiar. A lot of them are things that we were raised with, particularly that consequence-driven methods. It's what we're familiar with. They're still widely used in lots of settings, in particular schools. Um, and also, a lot of them appear to work, at least kind of in the moment. So parents continue to use them, but then realize that we're coming up against the same issues again and again. Nothing has been solved. We're just having to continue to issue these same consequences, which again can be very frustrating and keep kids really kind of stunted in their growth and development because they're not effective in the long run. We're going for kind of the long range goal of healthy and mature individuals, not in the moment quick fixes that some of these strategies rely on. Um, also, while they do appear to work somewhat in the short term, it's often at the expense of your parent-child connection. And also, like I said, at the cost to your child's true ability to grow and mature. 
Um, also, these strategies are rarely effective with more intense, spirited, highly sensitive kids. And so that gives rise to further frustration for both parents and children. Some of these methods work fine for your kind of more mellow, easygoing temperament. And, you know, kids do just fine um, with parents who use timeouts, but they could be better. Parents, kids do fine with you know, parents who use lots of those rewards and consequences. But if you have a more easygoing child, chances are you're not having to come across as many instances where you're having to discipline. And so therefore you're not having to use these as often as you do with a child who is more spirited. Therefore we need to find a different solution that could work for your more easygoing and your more spirited children. And also, as I mentioned, these methods do not inspire and promote authentic maturity and healthy emotional development. And that's what we want. That is the goal here. So I wanna pause for a second and ask you to reflect on how you're feeling right now. If experience informs me, I bet you are feeling somewhat uncomfortable right now. Oftentimes when I cover this discipline material, with parents, either through classes or workshops or in my parent coaching, I go through this list of here are different strategies that are problematic. And then the parents are like, okay, great. You just went through the list of every single thing that I do. Now what? Um, it's possible that what you're feeling, that discomfort you're feeling is a sense of not really knowing what to do and feeling like you just lost everything you had the tools that you use to control your children, to be able to control them. And feeling a lack of control is very uncomfortable for most of us. But I want to now kind of make a little bit of a shift for you and highlight and remind you that control was actually never the goal of discipline in the first place. The goal, remember, is leadership teaching, guiding, and creating order. So if I've just removed everything that you use to control your children and their behavior, that's ultimately a good thing because that actually is not what we're trying to accomplish here through discipline. So by removing those, it's causing you now to kind of have to kind of sit in this discomfort for a hopefully short while, while you kind of open up your mind to a different way of thinking about discipline. So why dignity and discipline? Well, when we think about dignity and what that means, it's a state of being worthy of honor and respect. What a lovely thing to be worthy of honor and respect. Um, if you think about common and traditional thought around discipline, the respect is reserved for those in charge. They are, uh, those in charge are to be respected just because of their role, because they're older or because they're called teacher or parent or grandparent. Even if they are to behave in a manner that is disrespectful and lacks dignity or does not respect the dignity of the child that they are interaction, interacting with, there's nothing dignified or respectful about overpowering a child. 
there's nothing dignified or respectful about shaming, scaring, hurting, or threatening children as a means to control or coerce them into the behaviors you want to see out of them. And there's nothing dignified in a parent who is allowing their child to order them around and parents who are servants to their child's demands. There's nothing dignified about that. So when I say dignity and discipline, this is the other way. This is the alternative to the other strategies that I have covered so far. It is a simpler approach to thinking about discipline, and it is one that is focused on leading versus controlling, guiding versus coercing, and creating order versus reacting to disorder. I'm not kidding when I say you really only need two essential tools when it comes to discipline. I've already let the cat out of the bag a little bit in the last module that the most essential tool and one of the two tools is your relationship, your connection, your attachment with your child. When I talked about in the first module, your role as a parent is being the nurturing alpha. The nurturing part is this connection, this attachment, your relationship with your child. Uh, Pam Leo, I've quoted her a few times during this series. She wrote Connection Parenting. She says the following, the level of cooperation a parent gets from their children is usually equal to the level of connection children feel with their parents. So when you have a child that feels deeply connected to their parents, caregivers, teachers, whoever is the person who is taking care of them at a time, a child has this natural instinct to follow, to listen to their parent or caregiver who's in charge. It's a natural instinct that comes from having this strong, secure relationship. So that is the one of the two tools. The second tool that is the essential thing you need for discipline with dignity is your authority, your power as a parent. That is the alpha piece of the nurturing alpha. So this is the one who creates the order, who guides, who influences, who teaches and leads. So two tools, your relationship, connection, attachment, and your authority being the alpha. Those are the two things you need. Okay, but that's very simplified. And now I'm sure you're like, okay, that sounds great and all, but how do I actually do that? And that's what I'm going to go into now, talking about how to apply these two tools in real life situations. With my approach, dignity and discipline, I break the topic of discipline into three parts. Proactive discipline, so the discipline that happens kind of ahead to try and avoid certain um, problems, problematic behavior, power struggles, so proactive discipline. The second part, active discipline. So what happens kind of in the moment when there's a problem, an issue, a problematic behavior, a fight breaking out between siblings, things of that nature. And then the third part, retroactive discipline. What you do after there's been an incident to circle back and make some progress, problem solve, take the lead in making amends if necessary um, between yourself and your child and also make progress in terms of kind of the teaching, the guiding piece of the dignity in discipline. 
I will be going into these three parts of the dignity and discipline approach and applying your two essential tools in part two of this segment on discipline in, with dignity. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.